that better? Cool. It's that tricky on-off switch again. The good news about your sight going when you're 40, you guys all know that joke, right? It's the same time your sight goes, that's when your body starts to go too, and you don't have to watch it. (laughs) You just let it happen, it's all right. By the time we hit 40, we earned it, right? I never thought I'd get that far. And here I am. What do you know? Open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, this morning we find ourselves continuing. In fact, we began in, in chapter 8, Paul really beginning to discuss with the church at Corinth, uh, Christian liberty, our freedom in Christ. The, the comprehension, the, that thing that we need to grasp a hold of, that in Christ Jesus I am utterly free. What are you going to spend your freedom on? How many times have we asked the same kind of questions the Corinthians are asking? Well, can I still do this and be saved? Can I still do that and be a Christian? Can I still listen to this or go watch that and still be saved? And what Paul's saying is, hey, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but I won't be brought under the power of any. And he's continuing that concept of, What is our freedom for in Christ? You remember I shared with you uh, when we began this subject, we began to talk about it, that I've had several dogs in my life. And I've had dogs that thought that they were free who spent their whole life on a chain. They thought that their freedom meant they never had to do anything I told them to do. But they lived their life on a chain. I had other dogs that listened to everything I said. And they went with me wherever I went. They were with me. If I went to the park, we went out camping, whatever. I'd find opportunities to bring them. That dog, the dog on the chain might say to him, Man, you're a fool. You have all this freedom. Why don't you just live free? But the dog that was obedient to his master experienced real freedom. See, that's what Christian liberty is all about. Stopping ourselves from asking the questions, how close can I get to the edge without falling off? Don't be on the edge. Why do you want to be on the edge? Nothing good happens on the edge. The the bad things happen frequently on the edge, right? Trip, slip, fall, woohoo, down we go. But listen, we want to rather put our heels on the edge and say, this is my starting line. And now I'm walking toward the Lord. I want to move toward Him. I want to follow His design. I want to follow His guidance for me. Listen, I, being a man, have a problem with any kind of uh, a manual that comes with anything I buy. Any men experience that? I don't even know where most of my manuals are. There has been the rare occasion where I have thrown up my hands in surrender and said, okay, i got to go online and find another manual. It happens at times. But listen, God has given us a manual. The manufacturer has laid out for us that which is necessary for us to experience, listen, abundant life. And there are men and women who believe that abundant life is found in the freedom to do whatever I want no matter what it costs. And there are others who have begun to realize that what the Lord has given us in His Word is the path that leads to an abundant life. An abundant life. A life where we can look back at the end of our days and say, I'm satisfied. I have, remember what Paul said, I have run my, my race. 
I have finished my race. I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. Why was he able to say that? He learned something. Paul's going to talk to us a lot in athletic terms. I always like that. I, I, I coached football for 10 years. So I, I love the concept of athletics. I would tell athletes over and over and over again, the only difference between you and that fellow you watch on TV is commitment. It's a level of commitment. Oh, yeah, sure. You can tell me, oh, yeah, but he was running a 4-2. He was running a 4-3 in high school. I could show you guys who play in the NFL that don't run anywhere close to that. Had a fruitful career because commitment. Commitment. Being committed, sold out. Hey, this is what I'm going to be. This is what I'm going to do. And we talked before about what do we want? We don't want to start. We don't just want to start well. What do we want to do? We want to finish. We want to finish well. We want to finish that race. And so this concept of Christian liberty is that which trips up believers more than anything else. Especially young believers. I, I vaguely remember being a young believer. I, I remember what it was to be in high school and ask my dad the same questions. Dad, can I still do this and be a Christian? And I never, I didn't think that was a weird question until I got older. The question I should have been asking is, is this helpful? Is this what I want to do? Is this desire that I have, is it helpful? Is it going to help me win the race? Right? We're going to have a race, and we're going to take these two guys, really fast guys. But one guy, he's so free, he's decided that he's going to run this race with a 100-pound plate on his back. Is that helpful? No. He's welcome to do it. The line at Vegas is going to flip just as soon as they all find out. Because he's doing that which impedes his progress. Folks, we want to live our lives in such a way that it's a help to our faith and not a hindrance. Yes, Jesus has paid the price for all those weights, all those gray areas, all those things. He has paid the price. But what we're choosing to do, is it putting us on a chain? Or is it really setting us free? Because Jesus said, if you know the truth, what's the truth do? It sets you free. You experience real freedom. Not what you think is freedom. Well, let's look chapter 10, verse 1. As he's building in this concept, he says, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, all ate or all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. You see how many times he said all? Careful consideration of the Greek language will provide for you the understanding that all means all. Everybody. All of them. But do you see that next verse? But with most of them, God was not pleased. All of them, let's back up, all of them, all of our fathers were under the cloud. What does that mean? All of our fathers were under the cloud. Listen, that means that they were all, we're talking about the children of Israel now, when they're leaving the land of Egypt, they were all directed by God. How did they know where to go? The Bible tells us that the Shekinah of God, the cloud, the glory of God, overshadowed them. It was above them. So when the cloud moves, they move. 
Just like we do on a hot day, right? If we're standing out in the blazing sun, you ever been near a tree and the, and the shadow was on you, but as the day gets longer, that shadow moves? What happens? You just take a step over get back in that shade again. That's what they did. They were directed by God. God, by that cloud, directed the children of Israel. Listen, when we study the children of Israel, we know it's a fact. If you take the Via de Maris, the, the way of the sea from Egypt to Israel, uh, 11 to 14 days walking, that's it. But God took a year to get them there. One year. And He directed every step they took to bring them to the different challenges that they needed to face so that they could overcome and make that, that right choice when that day came. The right choice to choose to live in an abundant life. Do you know that we choose that, right? It's not some magical thing. There's not a wand up in heaven that the Lord waves when we get saved and poof, you have the abundant life. You have to choose it. The Lord stood before the children of Israel and He said, on the left hand is cursing. On the right hand is life. On the left hand is death. Choose this day the way you will go. But choose life. That same choice is before us. That same choice is before us every day in the decisions that lay in front of us. Are we willing? Are we willing to say, I will be directed by God? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, what's it tell us? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. And what does He promise to do? He will direct your path. He will make your path straight. He will lay out before you your race to run, to run it, to win. So the first thing we see, all of them were directed by God. All of them, we're talking two million people, all of them were directed by God. What's the next phrase? All passed through the sea. All two million people were delivered. They were delivered. You know that the Lord brought them right there on that peninsula next to the Red Sea, where they were shielded on one side by sheer mountains and cliffs, on the other side uh, by other range of mountains. Before them, the only way to back out of there was the armies of Pharaoh coming against them, and behind them was the Red Sea. Do you know God took them there? You ever find yourself in your journey of faith, as you're walking with the Lord, you'll find yourself in that place, between a rock and a hard place. It don't seem like you have anywhere to go, and you call out to the Lord just like we all do. Why? Why did you bring me to this place, Lord? Why are we here? Well, God brought the children of Israel there to deliver them. To deliver them. All two million. What did they experience that day? Moses held out his staff over the Red Sea, and the sea parted. And the Bible says that the children of Israel walked across on dry land. Not mushy, mushy land. Dry land. The Lord parted the sea, and they walked across. Two million people. Why didn't Pharaoh's army come down and get them? Well, the Bible tells us that that pillar of fire, the cloud that led the children of Israel, moved behind them and stood between Egypt and Israel. God, wouldn't, God says, His Word declares, I am your rear guard. That's what He declares to us in the Old Testament. I'm your rear guard. Hey, you move forward, I'll take care of what's behind you. Don't worry about it. What did Paul say? Forgetting those things which lie behind, what did he do? I press on. 
move forward. They were delivered. They're set free. The children of Israel were delivered, and they all experienced looking at the, beside them at this wall of water, nothing holding it up but God. And they walked to the other side. You and I, we can experience that same deliverance in our life. There are folks here today been delivered from drugs. There are folks here today been delivered from the power of alcohol, the power of sin, of pornography, of, of a number of things that have set us free. Because God's in the business of delivering. And he delivered them. All two million people experienced that, right? All two million people experienced that. Well, let's look. The next phrase. All were baptized in Moses, in the cloud and in the sea. All were baptized, immersed in, identified with. They were all a part of what Moses was all about. They were all together. What Moses experienced, they get to experience. They get to see God call them. They get to see the Lord direct them. They get to experience in a very true sense the devotion that he had for the Lord. So they are all baptized into Moses in the sea, through the cloud, through the sea. They all identify and they all see devotion. Moses' devotion to God. Where do we see it any better than When the children of Israel come out and Moses has been on the mountain, hanging out with the Lord on the mountain, and the people were behind, wondering what to do, 40 days had passed, what they decided to do? Oh, let's let's build a golden calf and begin to worship the golden calf. So God says to Moses, oh, you better get down there. Those people, they didn't even make it 40 days without you. They're down there worshiping false gods. Moses, he could have run down and said, you know what, you people are worthless, dumb, stupid people. Why don't you ever listen? God told me that I can start all over again and we're just going to wipe you all out. He could have done that. But what did he do? He said, Lord, forgive them. And if you won't forgive them, blot my name out of your book of life. That's devotion, isn't it? And we see Paul say the same thing for his people. He said, I would that I could be accursed. Paul saying, I would go to hell if it meant that they would be saved. That was devotion. That was devotion. Moses had this incredible devotion. Now, did Moses' devotion, is it apart from the experience that the people had? Folks, they walked under the cloud just like Moses did, right? They passed through the sea just like Moses did. They experienced God's deliverance just like Moses did. They were all baptized with the same baptism. They were all together identified through Moses with devotion to the Lord. And then look at the next. And all ate the same spiritual food. You remember when that time came as they're walking through the desert and they began to get hungry? And they're complaining to Moses, what did you bring us out here to the desert for? To, to have us starve to death? And so Moses called out to the Lord, Lord, you know, these people, they're, they're angry, they're frustrated, they don't have any food. What did God do for them? He gave them manna. Well, God never called it manna. You know that, right? God always called it bread from heaven. Why did God always call it bread from heaven? Because it was a picture of, of the bread of life. Who's the bread of life? Jesus Christ. Who, where did he come from? From heaven to earth to meet our needs. 
So the Lord gives him this painting, paints a picture for him of the promised Messiah would come one day and he gave them bread every day. All they had to do is wake up, go out and gather it. Wake up, go out. And you know what the people called it? The people called it, what's it? That's what manna means. What's it? It was a derogatory term. They came to the place, listen, in the book of Numbers, where the people called out to God and they said, we hate this bread that you have given us. Isn't that what the people said to Jesus Christ? As he was standing there before Pontius Pilate, and Pilate was saying, what sin has he done? Why should he be crucified? Didn't they despise him that day? We hate this bread that you have given. They had provision of the Lord. God gave them whatever they needed. When they cried out for meat, did the Lord give them meat? Sure he did. Sure he did. He gave them meat. Later on, when they are complaining and whining about it, he gave them a bunch of quail, quail three foot deep running over the camp. Wiping out, and the people ate that quail, but it said it gave them leanness to the soul, leanness to their spirit. God provided for their needs. He gave them provision. What's the next line? And all drank that same spiritual drink. He's providing. They understood what it was to be dependent on God. So let's look at what we have. First, we see that that they're directed by God. Next, we see that they've been delivered by God. Then we see that they have been devoted, or they see devotion to God. And finally, dependence on God. All of them had the same opportunity. All of them experienced the same thing. What did the Bible say here? It says, they all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Folks, when you hear people say, when we're studying through the book of of Numbers in this case, and we're studying through the book of Numbers, and we say, now here we see this rock, and Moses was to beat the rock, and water came through that rock. That takes place in the book of Exodus. And we say, that rock is a picture of Christ. Now you know why we can say that. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says, who was the rock? The rock was Christ. When the children of Israel needed water, where did they go? To the rock. When Jesus came and he, he celebrated the feast with the, with the children of Israel, didn't he say, if any of you thirst, what? Come unto me and I will give you living water. Jesus gave the living water. Isn't that a fulfillment of the picture we see in the Old Testament? That he was the rock? Moses was to beat him the first time. Why? Because the first time Jesus Christ came, he was smitten for our transgressions, wasn't he? He was beaten by his stripes. We are healed. He was crucified. The second time Moses was to get water out of the rock, what was he supposed to do that time? Just speak to him. Why? Because Jesus was sacrificed one time for all people. That's it. But Moses was angry with the people, right? And he let that anger get the best of him. And he broke that picture. And as a result, Moses doesn't enter into the promised land. Well, let's take a look. Again, 
Directed, delivered, devoted, dependent, all these things. But with most of them, God was not well pleased. Now here, this ought to blow our minds. Two million people through the wilderness all experience God in the same way. They all see incredible miracles. They all see the hand of God moving, directing uh, their dependence upon Him. Everything that they need is found in that relationship with God. How many of them... With how many of them was God well pleased? Out of two million, two. By the way, that's not great odds. Two. There were only two out of the two million with which God was well pleased. Listen, they had experienced the, the setting free of their bondage, right? They were taken out of Egypt into freedom. We can do whatever we want. God's with us. God's guiding us. God's directing us. No difference from us. We can experience everything we want. What are you going to spend your freedom on? Are you going to spend your freedom on running your race so that you can be like the two? Or will you run your race like you can be the 1.9,998,000 that did it? Are you going to waste that opportunity? Now, what are we talking about here? Folks, we're not talking about salvation. That's not what we're talking about. Crossing over the Jordan into the promised land is not the picture of salvation. It is the picture of a victorious Christian life. It is the picture of victory. It is the picture of the abundant life. The promise, walking in the fulfillment of the promises that God has given you and me. Folks, we can live out our Christianity just so-so, you know, marking time. We can, we can be saved. We can come into the Lord's presence. We'll each still have that moment face-to-face with God. But with most of them, God is not well-pleased. He just pleased. Do I want to do, do I want to live my life to be well pleasing to the Lord? Or I just want to mark time? Do I just want to play games or am I going to be real? Am I willing to be sincere? Am I willing to stand before God and say, no, hey, I am going to be directed by God, dependent on God, devoted to the Lord? Because we all get to experience God in the same way. We all get to experience Him as they did. Well, let's take a look. Here's what caused them to fall. Verse 6. Now, these things became our examples. Okay? Everybody asks at one time or another, why do we study the Old Testament? Did you just not hear what he said? These things, we've just been talking about the Old Testament, became our examples. If we learn anything from history, we learn that man does not learn from history. We continue to make those same mistakes, yet they're written for us for our admonition. Look, these things become our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. First problem, the first issue that he brings up They despised God's provision. Do you despise God's provision? They despised it. Numbers chapter 21, they said, We hate 
this bread. We hate it. We don't want this. Do we despise his provision? God promises not to give us everything we want. What does he promise? To give us everything we need. Cast your cares upon me, the Lord said, for I care for you. And how many of us have at one time or another experienced God telling us no? And, and every single time the Lord has told us no for something, it was for our good and His glory. But what do we do? We say, I don't understand it. Lord, you, you make me eat this bread, this manna, every single day. i got to eat this bread. My goodness, I can't imagine having to eat the same thing every single day. But did you know in that bread that God gave him every day, he met every single need within their body. If you were to only eat one type of food for 40 years, you would be malnutritioned, malnourished, your feet would swell, you would be a sickly people. But what about the children of Israel? The Bible says their clothes never wore out, even in the 40 years that they wandered, and their feet never swelled. In the manna was everything they need. Man shall not live by bread alone, but what? By every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. What's our provision? What's our bread? His word. Do you despise God's provision? Do you look at a word and say, oh my goodness, we don't have to study that again, do we? I don't, I don't want to spend all my time reading that. It's the same. Can't we get a new book, something different, somebody write something else and say, hey, here we go, new revelation. Do we despise, do we desire after other things? Because their eyes were constantly on evil things because they despised God's provision. The first step to them living a life that was not well-pleasing to God. Despising His provision. Lusting. Desiring. Evil things. What's next? Verse 7. And do not become idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat, drink, and rose up to play. Well, What's the next thing they did? They replaced their devotion for God with something else. In this particular illustration, they replaced their devotion to God with a golden calf. You remember what Aaron said? Aaron said, when Moses asked him why he did it, Aaron said, well, I told the people, give me all your golden earrings. And I took all their golden earrings, and I threw it in the fire, and poop, out popped this golden calf. So we just decided to worship it. But the Bible tells us not what happened says Aaron put a tool. He carved it. He, he made it ornate. He, he built it with his hands. They exchanged devotion to God for or with something else. We want to live our lives. We want to finish well. I need to realize I cannot despise God's provision and I cannot replace my devotion for God with something else. There have been a variety of times in my life where that has been a struggle for me. I remember I told Kathy, I says, you know, I love this Harley. I'll always be satisfied with this bike. But if God was to tell me to give this bike up, then he can have it. I didn't really know he was going to do that. (laughs) I was pretty sure that that was all going to happen some other way. 
And I remember after the, after the accident, I told Kathy, I says, you know, the Lord didn't have to hit me with a van at 50 miles an hour. He could have just said, give me the bike. And I'd have given it to him. You know what she said? You know what my loving wife said? She said, no, you wouldn't. And when we were going through the whole thing with the insurance, you know, I was trying hard to keep it. To keep the... You know how much they want for a totaled motorcycle to buy it back from the insurance? Five grand. They, I don't know what they're smoking, but they shouldn't. They should stop. So I let the bike go. I kicked and screamed a little, but I let it go. There was another time in my life. Someone challenged me. Uh, Somebody that that I considered a, a mentor in my life. He gave me a challenge. He said, do you want to know what you're really devoted to in your life? He said, you can't say because you'll lie. You'll tell yourself whatever you think it is. He says, if you want to know what you're devoted to in your life, ask your kids. I says, well, whatever I ask my kids, they better tell me what I have devoted or we're going to have a problem. (laughs) So I come to to my son, my oldest son at the time, and I sat down with him. I said, JC, now I I already know what your answer is going to be. But nonetheless, I'm going to ask you, what do you think I'm devoted? What do you think my main devotion in life is? And he looked right in my eyes, and he said, football. (laughs) Now, I was working full-time at a church. I was a pastor then. I was doing all these things for the Lord. But my son caught my devotion he wasn't lying he was only sharing what he saw if i didn't like what he saw i needed to change what i was presenting and i had to chew on that for a while i I love football and I loved watching it i loved coaching it i loved everything about it being a part of it was all important to me but my son remembered a time. He remembered a time when, when I had uh, come up to, in fact, a day just like this. Isn't there some kind of football game on today? <laughs> and uh, my, I, I had uh, made arrangements, and I had actually canceled the church service that I did, and we all got together for Super Bowl. And it was cool. And, and is that a sin? No. For crying out loud, enjoy the Super Bowl. If that's your thing and you want to watch it, great. Do it. Go for it. It's okay. But the Lord was speaking to my heart about where my devotion was. So I made a promise to God. And I still keep it. That promise was, I would never cancel Him for that. Haven't done it since. The issue was, I want to live my life devoted to Him. Hey, folks, I love a lot of things. But I don't want the things that I love to take place of my God. I don't want them to take the place of the one that I love. And so it took a little wake-up call for me and my son telling me that that was the most important thing in my life. I mean, there's a lot of things he could have said, right? He could have said, well... 
your family is the most important thing in your life. Or he could have said church or, or God, a lot of things. But he said football. That meant that's what I portrayed to him. So I want to be devoted. What about these guys? They traded their devotion for a golden calf. Is that the only time they ever traded their devotion for God? Man, they, they're going to spend their entire history trading devotion for God for something. They're going to exchange the opportunity to spend time with the Lord for a, a number of other things, right? The Bible says, Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be filled. We try to fix our hunger and thirst with anything else, right? I mean, come on. Some of us have tried to fix the hunger and thirst with, with drugs and alcohol. Some of us have tried to fix the hunger and thirst with, with sex or empty relationships. Others of us have tried to, to fill the, the hunger and thirst with our job, or with success, with money, with any number of things. But where is our hunger and thirst to be pointed, directed to God? We're to hunger and thirst for Him. And He... He'll meet that need. Doesn't mean life is always going to be good, right? It doesn't mean life's always going to be, I should say, easy. But it does mean everything that comes into our life, everything that enters our life will pass through the hands of a God who loves us. And He will allow that in our life for our good and His glory. And we are what? Not to lean into our own understanding. How many times have we said, I don't understand? Good. That's okay. Don't lean into your own understanding, but trust Him. Lean into His. I want to be, I want to live, I want to have a life that is devoted to God. Hey, this is how we finish well. This is how we're going to do it. Look at verse 8. Nor let us commit sexual immorality, as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 fell. Listen. If you are a young person, if you're in high school, junior high, your parents made you come to church today, listen. What the world will sell you as the end-all, beat-all to life can cost you everything. In one day in the children of Israel, 23,000 people died because of sexual immorality. Oh, how could that even be possible? That doesn't make any sense. Really? Go to Africa. Why do you think there are so many orphanages in Africa? Because most of their parents are dying of AIDS. Why are they dying of AIDS? Because they live a sexually promiscuous lifestyle. They don't stop. They don't pay attention. They try to feed that hunger and thirst in their life. With sex and it costs them everything. Don't listen to the lie of the devil when the devil says, Hey, here, partake of this. This is a forbidden fruit. It's, everybody's trying to keep you from enjoying yourself. And, and all you need to do is just taste of this and you'll finally find satisfaction in your life. Really? That ain't true. The only way, the only way you'll find satisfaction in your life is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
The devil is holding out that poison apple and saying, take a bite, and as soon as you do, he'll take your life. Does it every day. Every day. Don't, don't let us commit sexual immorality. Why? They are unwilling to accept God's direction. God said don't do this, and God said don't do that because he's just trying to ruin all the fun. I mean, it's a lot of fun. How can, there's nothing in life that could be more fun than that. See, the Bible says when two people have sexual relations, that their spirits are bound together. You know what happens when they break apart? They leave pieces of themselves behind. And many times they do it, that's how many pieces they leave behind. You ever seen somebody all used up? All wasted from a life of tearing themselves apart? Together apart, together apart, together apart. Leads to emptiness, man. It destroys, it robs. But we have to say, I'm willing to follow God's direction. God doesn't say there should be no sex except within marriage between a man and a woman. Yes, the Word of God does say that. That it should be a man and a woman who have committed themselves to a lifetime together before God. And in that relationship, it's beautiful. And it is all those other things that the world tries to lie about. Outside of that, it will make you empty. Here's what happened in this particular example. There's this guy named Balaam. You guys remember Balaam? He's the one who had a talking donkey. <clears throat> Balaam was called by King Balak. To go and lead the children of Israel into a curse. He's going to curse them. Curse them from God. So Balaam goes. God tells him not to go. That's the whole talking donkey thing. We won't get into that. But then he goes anyway. He wants to fill his house with gold. That's what the king promises him. I'll fill your house with gold. So Balaam goes. And he says, I'm going to curse the people. He walks to the edge of the, the mountain overlooking their encampment. And he opens his mouth to curse them. And what comes out? blessing god won't let him do it and the king who's filling his house with gold is not very happy about that so he says you better figure out how to curse him so balaam says let me try again so he walks back over to the edge of the cliff and he opens his mouth to curse him and blessing comes out again and so balaam goes to the lord or goes to the king and he says listen the lord's not going to let me do it you want to know how to make god curse him send your women down there Tell them to go to the young men and to tell them to come away to their tents to draw them into sexual immorality and while they're in their tents, introduce them to their gods and God will curse them. And so he did it. All for greed, Balaam told King Balak that and in one day, 23,000 people died. So one guy could fill his house with gold and cause a curse upon a people. Why were they willing to do it? They despised God's direction. I want to live my life well-pleasing to the Lord. I can't despise His direction. I want to follow His direction. I was sharing with a young man when I was in Oregon... A young man that I coached in football, he's, 
He has uh, actually been to jail and prison. Now he's, he's out for now. And uh, we were sitting down talking, and I said to him, I said, listen, tell me what your goal in life is. And he said, well, coach, my goal in life is that, that I would have a family, you know, and, and I'd have, you know, a good life, enough money to support my family, have a nice house. I said, son, is the road you're on right now taking you to that goal? No. And why are you on it? That road is only going to take you where it's already taken you. Where has it taken you so far? Two stints in jail, one in prison. How long are you going to stay on that road? I'm going to stay on this road till it takes me where I want to go. Does that work? Because when I was trying to find my way around Idaho, I would try that. I'm going to drive down this desolate road where there is a farm I drive by every 10 minutes until I arrive at my driveway. Really? That is the dumbest thing I ever heard. If the road you're on isn't taking you where you're trying to go, you need to get off that road and get on the right one. It will never take you where you want to go. It will never satisfy. It will only destroy. Verse 9, Nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them tempted Him and were destroyed by serpents. Next, they despise their dependence on God. Oh, I hate this bread. I hate that I have to count on you, Lord. I want to live my life my own way, do my own thing. And the serpents came. Rattlesnakes in a playground. Next thing you know, the kids are getting bit. The adults are getting bit. They're all starting to die. As soon as they're starting to die, who do they call on now? Lord, you know all that stuff I said? I didn't mean it. So God came to Moses and he told him, put a brass pole with a serpent around it in the middle of the camp, and everyone who looks at it will be saved. Jesus said that brass pole in the wilderness was him. Look upon that brass pole and be saved. And everyone who did was saved. I promise you there were people laying there writhing in pain, saying, oh, the snake bit me and it hurts. And Moses said, well, just look at the pole. It's okay, just look at, look at the pole. You'll be saved. No, give me a shot. No, I, I'm not going to give you a shot. Look at the pole. Oh, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard of, Moses. How's looking at a pole going to make me better? How's trusting in Jesus going to make it better? How's putting my faith in Him going to change my circumstance? Well, it might not change your circumstance. But it'll change everything else. It'll change everything else. Because He is... Everything we need. We need a healing. He's that healing. We need satisfaction. He is that which satiates. Whatever we need will be found in Him. But they despise that dependence. And they complained in verse 10. As some of them also complained, they were destroyed by the destroyer. Now what's the point of all this? Verse 11. All these things happened to them as examples. And they were written for, whoops, our admonition. All those things that they went through are there as examples to us. Why we study the Old Testament? That's why. 
All of these things happened to them so that we could learn, so that we could apply. Listen, folks, God didn't get saved in the New Testament. God was always saved. He's immutable. He doesn't change. He's still ministered by grace and mercy in the Old Testament. We just have to go and look with eyes to see. We'll see it. (coughs) We study that old so that we can understand these examples, so that we can gain from them. Look what he says. They were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. By the way, Paul wrote that. What do you mean Paul wrote that the end of the age was coming? Did he really think that? I don't know. He wrote it. Upon all those who the end of the age has come. That final age occurred at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We entered into the time known as the last times. We're in it. The time of the last days. That moment in which Jesus Christ could return at any time. Now, hear what God said earlier. But with most of them, He was not well pleased. Man, folks, there was a lot of people in that group. There was only two in the other group. Therefore, he says in verse 12, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. The two guys he was was happy with, oh, let's see, was it Moses and Aaron? No. No, they didn't go. You mean Moses didn't make it? Moses didn't make it. You're kidding me. I mean, isn't he the guy that gave us the Ten Commandments? Yeah, that's the one. Didn't he talk to God face to face? Yep, yep, that was him. He didn't make it? No, he didn't make it. What chance do I have? You got a pretty good chance. You know who did make it? Two fellas. Joshua and Caleb. Why? Well, this is what happened. They came to Kadesh Barnea, that opportunity to enter into the Promised Land. And they sent out spies they sent out spies the spies went out 12 spies go out we get 10 spies come back with bad reports uh they come in carrying this giant piece of grape this big old giant cluster of grapes and they say truly the land is full of milk and honey it's a good land a great land wonderful land but there are giants there and they'll squash us like a bug They'll kill us all. And Caleb, all the people start this tumult. Oh, no. Oh, we can't make it. Oh. And Caleb steps up. <clears throat> Caleb says, hey, what are you talking about? They're the grasshoppers. God goes with us. Let's go right now. Let's go right now. All you people, stop and come with me. Enter into the promised land. Joshua stood right by Caleb. We can do it. We can make it in, guys. And they all turned around, put their backs to the promised land, and chose a life wandering in the desert for 40 years. During those 40 years, there were 90 funerals every day. Ninety people died a day. 
just natural, just came to the end of their life. And came to the end of their life not entering in to everything that God had for them. I want to enter into what God has for me. So how are we going to do it? I have to say, I want to be directed by God. I want to receive God's direction. I want to receive God's deliverance. I want to be devoted to God. I want to live a life dependent on God. That's the only difference between Caleb and Joshua and everybody else. Caleb, Joshua, and everybody else made a choice to change their mind and God changed their heart. Change the way I look at things. Change the way I make decisions. Change the goals of my life. I want to live my life in a way that's going to bring honor and glory to Him. But life is so hard. We struggle so hard. There's so many difficult things in life and it, and it makes it so hard to walk. That's why he wrote the next verse. For no temptation has overtaken you except as is common to man. But God is faithful. Do you hear that? But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted or tried beyond what you are able. We all joke, oh, the Lord must think I'm able of a lot. I can do a lot more than he thinks. Well, the Bible says I can do all things. How? Through Christ it strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We face hard times. We face big mountains. We face big difficulties. But God is faithful. God is faithful. But I don't understand. That's okay. Don't lean into your own understanding. Lean into His. But I don't understand how it works. Stop leaning into your own understanding. Lean into God. Lean into Him. Be devoted, dependent, delivered, directed by Him. Allow God to do that work. Listen, He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with that temptation, He will make a way of escape that you will be able to bear it. Oh, now come on, Jackie. I've heard of people that face things in their life and, and it ended up being too much for them and they were never able to escape. Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. Uh, I say something, maybe it's a little harsh, I don't know. It's easy to quit. It's easy to give up. Quitting is a habit. I told my kids in football that every day. You start quitting in this, you'll quit in that, then you'll quit in the next thing, and you'll quit in another thing. Don't need to quit. Quitting's easy. Sticking with it. Not leaning into your own understanding, but leaning into the Lord. Not trusting yourself or looking at your situation and saying, this is what my situation means, but then leaning in the Lord and saying, God, I don't understand this. Help me. Why? Because God is faithful he's faithful he'll show you the way and if he doesn't show you that way today what does it mean it means wait till tomorrow what if he doesn't show me the way tomorrow then wait till the next day well what if i told so tired of waiting i just want to give up then you're quitting anybody can quit only two out of two million 
ran their race to the full. We can be part of the majority, or we, according to Paul's calling, can decide, I want to walk that narrow road. I want to take that path less traveled. I want to make a choice to live a life well-pleasing to God. And when I face the storms and the ruckus and the hard times and all that stuff's going on, and folks, it's all going to happen. Not if, when. It's all going to happen. When I face those things and the world hits me for all she's worth, drops me to my knees, I will pray and I will stand back up. And if she hits me and knocks me down again, I'll get back up. If the world knocks me down 99 times, I'm getting up 100. Because anybody can quit. I want to finish. I want to finish. I want to complete that call that God has laid on every one of us. Isn't that what Jesus did? Jesus, who finished his race with joy, says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and he is seated at the right hand of God. Did Jesus quit? Oh, but Jesus was God. Well, true. Jesus was God. But according to Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, in the great kenosis, Jesus did not rely on his ability as God, but rather entrusted himself into the hands of the Father and the Holy Spirit to do everything that he did. That's why he is an example to us. And you know what Philippians 2 says? Let this mind be in you. Let it be in you. Make the choice. Jesus finished his race. I want to finish mine. Paul finished his race. Fought the good fight. Kept the faith. I want to finish mine. I want to remember what Jesus has done I want to remember where he's called me and how he's directed me. I want to repent of the things that are holding me back in my life. And I want to do the things he's calling me to do. And we'll finish our race too. Amen? We have a time this morning where we're going to celebrate in communion. As we consider the word that God has brought to us this morning. We considered all that, that the Lord has laid out. We want to remember what Jesus did. Folks, when we have an opportunity and we pass out the bread and we pass out the cup, we can look at it and say, well, this is just a cracker and this is just a cup of juice. Or we can choose to do what Paul said. It's the body and the blood. That cracker reminds me of the fact that Jesus Christ was broken for me. By his stripes I am healed. That blood is the blood of the new covenant. That means if I put my faith and trust in him, he'll carry me through. He's going to be faithful. So when we come to the table this morning, as the, 
the worship team can come on up and as we prepare to, to bring ourselves into worship. And then we'll have the ushers go ahead and come on up. As they come up, we can go ahead and dim the lights and, and just set a, an attitude of worship, an attitude of, of remembrance, of understanding all that God has done for us and is doing for us. As we pass out the bread and as we pass out the cup and as we enter into this time of worship, we're going to do one worship song and we invite you just to, to hold on uh, to the bread. We'll go ahead and pass out both the bread and the cup if we can. And we'll do one worship song. As we do that one worship song, I just want you to consider all that that's calling us to, all that that's directing us to. Remember, folks, the walk that God calls us to do is not impossible. We just have to change our mind and have the mind of Christ and allow God to do His perfect work in us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come to You, Father, at this time, just in an attitude of worship, we do pray, Lord, that that You would speak, that You would speak through this moment of worship, that You would speak through this time as we seek Your face, that You would be glorified, Lord God, as we remember You, as we remember the failures of those who have come before us, May it inspire us to succeed. May we hold on to those who achieved the goal and follow their example. Hear the words of Paul. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. We lay this time before you and seek your blessing on it in Jesus' name.